Thanks, Bob. Join me in the book of Ruth, if you would. This evening, chapter number two. Chapter number two. If by chance you missed out on one of our 2024 gift bags that contains the uh, vision booklet and the calendar for 24 the main highlights uh, of the year, we have several of them in the back there. In fact, if you'd like to have another one, feel free to go ahead and grab one. And I think the most important thing there is the calendar. It's a magnetic calendar that you can put on your refrigerator, remind you some of our important dates. Got a lot of nice things coming up. Some, some are coming up pretty soon. I think the, probably the first one on there would be the uh, scripture assembly. And then uh, one I'm looking forward to this year is National Hoop It Up. And that's a great outreach for our community. And I guarantee it'll bring a lot of people on campus on that Saturday. And that's in April, I believe, National Hoop It Up. So just things you can uh, mark on your calendar and begin to pray for already as we get into the upcoming year, 2024 already, right? Already what, three weeks into it? How about that? It goes by pretty quick, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Ruth chapter number two. Now, before we move forward, let's let's just take a step back and, and just review, uh, if you would, chapter one, if you remember that journey to Moab, where we found a family of four, led by a man named Elimelech. Elimelech was daddy. And his wife was Naomi, of course, had two sons, Malon and, and uh, Kilion, right? And uh, what he does, what Elimelech, what Elimelech does is he takes his family from Bethlehem to Moab, right? Uh, you read in chapter one, we studied that after two weeks, uh, we read how uh, there, was, there was a predicted famine in the land. And what Elimelech did was what he was accustomed to do. Uh, and what he did was he leaned to his own understanding. Remember that? We talked about that a little bit. And uh, I don't want to be redundant and go back over that again. But I thought that was key to where uh, he did what he thought was best to do for his family. And what he did was he moved them out of the will of God. Right? That's what we saw. He took his family outside of the will of God. And uh, they paid for that. They paid dearly for that. For that. In fact, I'm not sure how long it was while he was in Moab. I don't believe he was there very long. As a whole, they were, they were only there for 10 years. But I don't think he was there very long before he died, Elimelech. And I don't know. I can't say that was a direct result of God's judgment. It doesn't say that in the Bible, right? I don't believe he was rebelling against God. I believe he was just a man who loved God, loved his family, and just had one of those you know, moments where he just uh, kind of stepped outside of the will of God, crossed over the line. It happens, doesn't it? Uh, and and, you, and I'll tell you this, listen carefully. It's not as hard as you think it is to step over that line, right. especially when you live close to it. Oh, you missed that. <laughs> it's not hard to step over the line when you live that close to the line, right? And so he did what he thought was best, you know, and you can't fault him for that, but he paid dearly um, because while in in, in Moab, he dies, and then we read the story, uh, his two sons died, right? They married Moabite women, and we already went through this. If you were with us, we rehearsed the fact that they should never been there to begin with. God forbade them, Israelites, to have anything to do with the Moabites, and especially forbade them to marry sons or daughters. And so both his sons marry while in Moab. See, that's what happens when you take your family out of the will of God. That's what happens when you take your family into the world. 
they're going to be influenced by the world. They're going to marry the world. You know, they're going to fall prey to the world, you know, and there's consequences to that. So uh, now there's three widows uh, in Moab. There's Naomi and uh, there's, uh, of course, Ruth and her sister-in-law, Orpah. Uh, Naomi decides that it's time to go back. She heard that, you know, things were getting better in Bethlehem. And so she's now going to return, you know, and so she does. But before she does, she has conversation with the two daughter-in-laws, right, and encourages them to get on with their lives. You know, your families are here, your Moabites, your mom and dad, your, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles, cousins are here. And there's got to be, uh, your young ladies, there's got to be, um, you know, a man for here, you know, so get on with your life. And, and Orpa takes the counsel and she does that very thing. She gives her mother-in-law a big old kiss and hug and, and says farewell. And she stays there in Moab. But Ruth, on the other hand, she says to her mother-in-law, I'm not going to leave you. And she just, I mean, she just grabs hold of her. And, uh, and she makes that statement of commitment there. And we'll go over that just a little bit in our study tonight. But she says this, you know, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. You know, wherever you go, I'll go. Where you die, I'll die. And Naomi says, Ruth, you have no idea what you're saying, you know. And she tried to talk her out of it. But the Bible kind of indicates in chapter 1, verse number 17, that there was no way to talk her out of it. And so Naomi returns to Moab with Ruth. When she gets back to uh, Bethlehem, you know, the you know, townspeople begin to see her arriving. And the ladies say, is that Naomi? And Naomi responds in a very negative way. And Naomi kind of complains or voices her complaint and says this basically, don't, don't, don't no longer call me Naomi, but call me Mara. And you, you really need to look at the meaning of those names to understand what she was saying. The name Naomi means pleasant. And the name Mara means bitter. And so what she was saying is this, and no longer call me pleasant, but call me bitter. And here's the reason why God has dealt with me. But she wasn't saying God dealt with me because I was I, I messed up. You know, she was pretty much saying, God, God is just he's just taking everything from me and he's condemned me. You know, and she was kind of pointing the finger <laughs> at the Lord in that situation. And that's kind of what happens when you get yourself in a backslidden state, you know. And I made this statement last week, and I've made it many, many times, that when you're in sin, you're close to being insane. You just don't see things clearly. And sometimes you can't find your way back. And so they're back in, um, they're back in Bethlehem, and now we flip the page, and we're in chapter number two, right? And in chapter number two, we're introduced to another character in the book of Ruth. Look in verse number, look at uh, verse number one, if you would. The Bible says, and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. His name was Boaz. And so now another character steps into the narrative, and his name is Boaz. And there's two things mentioned about him in verse number one. I want you to note the very first thing, and this is important, and it will become important in chapter three and four. But the very first thing that's said about Boaz is that he's a kinsman. You see that? That's key. In fact, what we would say is this. 
He was a near relative. He was related to Elimelech, and he was, uh, we don't know how he was related. I, I don't know if he was a cousin. Some indicate that he was his, was his brother, but I, I don't find any evidence of that in Scripture. But we do know this, he's related, he's a relative, and that's key because he becomes, in chapter 3 and 4, he becomes what is known as the kinsman redeemer. Have you ever heard uh, a teaching on the kinsman redeemer? Really significant because it's a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And so a couple weeks down the road here, when we finally get to the end of chapter three and the chapter number four, we'll talk a little bit about the kinsman redeemer. But a second thing that is said about uh, Boaz in verse number one is this. He's a mighty man of wealth. You see that? He's a mighty man of wealth. Now, I promise you, before we close out our Bible study tonight, uh, we will come back to that. And I'll add a little bit of uh, insight to that, because I don't think that word wealth uh, is what you and I might think. The very first thing we think about is, you know, he's uh, on the Fortune 500 list, you know, and he's got big bank accounts, but it means more than that. In fact, it means a lot more than that. And we'll come back and we'll see that. In verse number two, I'm going to tell the story, okay? And then we're going to give you some things to take with you. In verse number two, Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And Naomi said unto her, go, my daughter. And so she, she goes. So in verse number two, um, we begin to read a little bit about Ruth. Now, I think it's important for me to point this out. Remember, this is the book of Ruth and not the book of Naomi. Right? I mean, chapter number one, it's all about Naomi. You know, but as we turn the page, as we flip the page and we come to chapter number two, what we're going to find now is the narrative changes and it really becomes the story of Ruth. And in here in chapter number two, in verse number two, the focus is upon uh, upon Ruth. Verse number three, I want you to notice this. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hat was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. See that verse number three? A couple of things I want to point out in verse number three. The first, the first is this, where it talks about how she came after the reapers. Do you see that? Look, look at it again, verse number number three, and gleaned in the field after the reaper. That was a, a common practice. In fact, it was a practice of charity written in the Old Testament law. You read the book of Deuteronomy, where when the reapers would reap the field, they were told whatever would fall, whatever would, you know, kind of fall out of your bushel or your barrel or your basket or your burlap bag, even though they have burlap bags, uh, don't, don't go back and re-glean uh, the field. Let it stay there for the poor people to come behind you and kind of just be able to gather themselves. It was a principle of charity in the Old Testament. And so that, that's exactly what uh, Ruth does here. Uh, she says she, she went and came and gleaned in the field, notice, after the reapers, right? So the field was already reaped, and now all she's doing is going, we might say this, uh, what she's doing uh, here is just picking up the scraps, you know, kind of gathering the crumbs that fell from the table, right? Are, are you with me? Um, and then I also want you to notice these words, and this is neat. This is awesome. It kind of goes along with the title of the Bible study tonight. Notice it says in verse number number three again, and her hat. You see that? And her hat was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. 
In other words, we might say it this way, it just so happened. Right? Did you ever, did you ever use those words? It just so happened. Um, we, may, we may say it something like this, or as coincidence would have it. Right? Do you see that? It, 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 look, look at it again. I want you to see this because this is key. And her head was the light on the part of the field belonging unto who? Boaz. <laughs> Boaz. Uh, it just so happens that the field she ends up in, it just so happens the field that she's now reaping in belongs to who? Boaz. And Boaz is who? Boaz is related to Elimelech, who indirectly is related to Naomi. Just so happens. Or as coincidence would have it. Now, we come to understand this. Let me be real clear before we go any further. We come to understand that there are no coincidences in God's economy. Isn't that right? There's no, no coincidences, nothing left to chance. Well, wouldn't you know it? Look at verse number four. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him and the Lord blessed thee. And so, uh, again, just so happens, you know, that uh, here comes Boaz. He's now on the scene. He's in the field. And I want you to notice how he addresses. Oh, how'd that get in there? You guys got the right one up? Yeah. Is, isn't verse number? Yeah, verse four's not there. All right, so look at your Bible. We don't need the screen. <laughs> Notice how he addresses his workers. He said, hey, how much have you gleaned? No, the very first thing, look, look at it again. Look at this. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, what? The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. You know what I like to say about that? At least this is my take on it. You can believe anything you want. But when he comes in and addresses his employees, it's kind of like, Bob, you're a business owner. You walk in in the morning, and the very first thing you say is, hey, guys, pray for you this morning. Hope you have a great day. Let's get with it. May the Lord's will be done here. Yeah, and I say, the Lord is a priority in your life. And you want the Lord to be a priority in your dealings, right? I uh, mentioned this on Sunday. Remember, we talked on Sunday about, you know, maybe when your children get up in the morning and you see them, you know, they come down. Hey, hey, I got a Bible verse for you this morning. Hey, I prayed for you this morning. You're not going to believe what I prayed for you for today. It, it's just indicating that the Lord is a priority in your life. Here's a business owner. He comes back to town. Boaz. He's checking on his workers. And the first thing he says to them is, I looked at that screen again. It's not there. Uh, <laughs> the Lord, the Lord be with you. And they answered him. Lord bless you. I like that, don't you? I like that. And then as we read on, where's we find verse number five? This is interesting. Then then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reaper. So this is the supervisor now. Look what he says. Who's that? Who's that girl over there? Who is that? She caught his eye. Who was it? It was Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. She caught it. Don't you be whistling. Who's that you, Josh? Whistling? She caught his eye. Huh? Who's that? We might say something like this, a hubba, hubba, hubba. Huh? Who's that young lady uh, over there, right? And, uh, and the, supervisor, the supervisor tells Boaz who this woman is. I think this. I think he probably told her uh, the story. You know, she, she was on a journey. She's a Moabite. She was, you know, she met your relative, Elimelech, in Moab, married his son. Now, he may already know, know this, but 
married his son, and, and, and he died. And now she, you know, just came back. She's, she's really loyal to Naomi. And she even said this to Naomi, your God will be my God. So maybe this supervisor, hey, listen, the employer says, who's this, who's this woman here? Who's she? I don't remember her. I don't remember hiring her. Huh? And so the supervisor tells, tells you know, uh, Boaz the whole, the whole story. Um, and, and what he does is this. He begins to show um, Ruth some real kindness. Let's read, read down just a little bit. And, and the servant that was over uh, the reapers answered and said, it's the Moabite Istanbul that came back with Naomi from, from, the, from the country of Moab. And he said, and she said, she said, now uh, the supervisor saying, she said, I pray you let me glean after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued even from, look at this, even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, uh, unto Ruth here is thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maid. So now, now uh, Boaz is going to show her some kindness, you know, and he's going to kind of be a blessing to her. And he says to her this, he says, listen, uh, I kind of get the understanding as to what happens. Look look at verse number 10. She falls on her face and bows uh, herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in thy eyes that thou should take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? And I think Boaz said this because I heard, I heard how kind you were to your mother-in-law. I, I heard the story as to how your husband died and how you said to your mother-in-law, you know, your God will be my God. And, you know, where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I'll die. And he said, I think he says this. I think, I think he says to her, I find that to be amazing. And so I want to show you some kindness. And what he does is this. He encourages her to work alongside of his his uh, group of women there in that in that area. And he says this, he said, I'm going to protect you from the other male workers. You don't have to worry about them. You know, you just stay right in my field and keep gleaning as much as you want to glean. He says in verse number 12, he begins this. I like this. He prays for her. He said, the Lord recompense thy work. A full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings art come to trust. And so now he's, he's even praying for her. Isn't that, a, isn't that a wonderful story? That's a wonderful story. Now, I think you know this. I hope I don't bust your bubble. I hope I don't. I hope this is not a spoiler alert. But you know, Ruth and Boaz do marry. <laughs> you know that, right? You're aware of that. Well, Did you know that? I, I didn't want to uh, spoil alert. You know, at the end of the movie, I just you knew I was going there, right? Yeah. yeah. Man. Anyway. And so they do. They marry in the end. And we will look at a lot of the details leading up to that. But I want to kind of stop the narrative right here before we go that much further and just pause and finish up the next couple of minutes talking about some of the qualities, the visible qualities of Ruth and Boaz and some of the qualities that just aren't on the surface that you really got to dig to find. All right. And then we'll continue with the story uh, next time. I want you to know, look first. And, and I gave you a little uh, gave you a little handout there if you want to use that uh, to jot in some notes. I want you to just note a couple of practical things that I found in this text about Ruth and Boaz. The first thing I want you to notice this. She believed in God. Right. She 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 believed in God. And, and I want you to notice this. I want you to notice that that was not a simple decision on her part. Go back to chapter one with me, if you would. 
chapter 1, and look what she said in verse 16. Ruth said, now she's speaking to Naomi, and she said this, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and what? Thy God, my God. Now think about this for a second. Ruth, Ruth was not familyless. There's nowhere in this story where we're told that she was an orphan, right? I mean, she had a mother and she had a father. And, you know, the Moabites, mm, they had a God. They had a God they worship. Anybody know who's, what God they worship? Molech. Molech, close. Who? Baal, close. It's all the same. Chemos. If you read about it, they, they worship the God named Chemos. Uh, and I'm probably not saying that right. Um, but they had their own God. They had their own worship system, right? But here's a young lady, pay attention now. Here's a young lady, for whatever reason, God kind of gets a hold of her. If I can just jump ahead of the story, I won't. But if I could, I would show you how there's no, there's just no coincidence in this at all. Because Ruth becomes a very significant player in the lineage of somebody very special to us, our Savior Jesus. But here, I mean, here she is. She's a Moabite young lady. I don't know how old she is. I don't think she's that old, you know. And and all of a sudden now she's saying to Naomi, you know, I, I, I want your God to be my God. That's a big, that's a big decision. That took courage. That took courage. Huh? Are you with me? Yeah. Because what that meant was this. When she accepts Naomi's God as her God, when you and I, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, it's certainly going to rub somebody the wrong way. And I think it kind of rubbed her family the wrong way. I know this. Back in the day, New Testament times, when a, 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 an Israelite, a Jewish person, accepted Christ as their Savior, they were ostracized from their family. And that's why Peter says on the day of, of Pentecost, uh, speaking to the crowd, when they say, so what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Don't just repent, but get baptized. Why the baptism? Because when they got baptized, it was saying to everybody, I mean business about this. This really happened to me. Because baptism is nothing more than an outward sign of an inward happening. Right? And when that took place, when a Jewish person got saved and Israelite got saved, their family cut them off. So it took courage. <laughs> it took courage. And so I want you to note this about Naomi, about Ruth, because as we move forward, we're going to see this young lady's character. And it all started when she put her faith in our God. She put her faith in our God. She removed her faith from her family's God and put her faith in the God of the Bible. And I think this, I think, I think she paid for that decision. And it took a lot of courage. You know, and if we had the time, if this was open forum and we had the time, I'm sure there's people in this room that can say when I got saved, it caused some problems in my family. Not everybody was happy. I come from a Roman Catholic background. When we got saved, my dad got saved, man, it caused all kinds of problems in our family. The people that you would think, man, yeah, they're going to say, wow, my dad's name was Dominic. Man, Dominic got saved. That's wonderful. His life's going to change. No, it was the opposite. You know, they started to call him religious names and, and, and really got upset with him because he no longer was who he used to be. Right. So I want you to notice here that, it, that that she believed God. And that took some courage. Notice also this. Notice that she lived virtuously. She lived virtuously. I'm not sure if you've seen this or not, but in verse number two, 
says, and, 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 and the Moabitess Ruth said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And Naomi said, go ahead. Now, I, I, read the, I read this text inside and out from front to back. Nowhere, nowhere in this passage, in, in this book, is Ruth told to care for her mother-in-law. Nowhere is she told that she's got to go out and work. Ruth doesn't say, hey, listen, if you're going to live with me, you're going to have to earn your keep. You don't read that. There's no evidence of that. Huh? You have to go out and work. You have to pay. You have to pay your way. No, there's no evidence of that at all. Instead, she takes initiative to provide for Naomi. Amen. Huh? That's a quality of virtue. Virtue. Wouldn't it be great if some of our young people today had just a good work ethic about them? Huh? If we can just strip from their minds the idea, the culture that we live in of entitlement, you know, where it's just supposed to come naturally. And what you and I may have worked really hard to get, you know, they're going to have to do the same. Nobody's just going to give it to them. Huh? That's virtue. That's character. That's quality. And that's what she had. I, I, I pointed out verse number seven, where the supervisor said this about Ruth. Uh, she came and continued even from the morning until now. And, and she only took a, a small break. You see verse number seven? Look at it. She only took a small break. She only tarried in the house just, just a little bit, just a little tarrying in the house. She only took a little break. She just went to the potty once. She's been working all day long. She had a great work ethic. And I'm not sure if you've seen this. Verse number 17, chapter number two. Verse number 17. Look what he says here. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. You know what that amounts to? 26 quarts of barley in one day. And that's just by picking up <laughs> the scraps. Huh? So from morning to she was virtuous. Yeah. She was virtuous. And then I want you to notice this. She was sensitive to God's leading. She was sensitive to God's leading. In verse number three, it says she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hat was to light upon the part of the field belonging unto Moab. And again, I read this inside and out. I even read between the lines. There's nobody that comes along and says to her, hey, Ruth, I got the perfect field for you to reap in. I got the perfect field. You'll love the owner. He's a good looking dude. It's not there. Apparently, apparently God leads her and she finds she just is going to where. And there were other places. She's in the big field. She just happens. And that would have said there her hat. Just coincidentally, she ends up in the field that's owned by Boaz. No, she was sensitive to God's leading. Would to God that we could become sensitive to his leading. Huh? Thank you for that. Amen. Would to God that we can become sensitive to the spirit of God's leading. Would to God that our young people would be sensitive to God's leading. Huh? Let me show you one, one final thing about Ruth. She was considerate. She was considerate of others. Chapter 2 and verse number 2. She said unto Naomi, let me now go into the field and glean the ears of corn. In verse number 10, verse number 13. It's interesting this to me. It's interesting that Ruth asked permission to go do this work. Because 
customarily, this was a local custom, and maybe she didn't understand it because she was a Moabite, but it was a local custom uh, that she didn't have to do this. I mean, Charity said, you can just go, if you're a poor person, you can just go and follow up the reapers, and whatever falls to the ground, you can go ahead and harvest it. That was a local custom. But three times in this one chapter, Ruth demonstrates exceptional respect for Naomi. And that kind of tells me this, you know, she treated others, the way she treated others speaks volume about her character. She, look, look at verse number 10, falls on her face and bows herself to the ground and says unto, unto uh, uh, Boaz, why have I found grace in your eyes? There's no spirit, look here, there's no spirit of entitlement here. She's not saying, I, I deserve this, I'm a poor person, you, you got, no, this is not the Robin Hood mentality. Take from the rich and give to the poor. No, she just realized that you're, you're allowing me. This is, this is grace. Speaks volumes about her character. Now, here's a side note. And I didn't put this on your notes. But here's a side note. I think this. I think Ruth serves as an example for young men and young women. For example, it would be wonderful if we can train our young ladies to be like a Ruth. Amen. Great. Wouldn't it be great if Open Bible just had a bunch of young ladies like Ruth? I mean, just faith in God, deep faith in God, virtuous quality, character. And I'm not saying we don't, but I think that's what we, what we ought to work toward. To develop young ladies like sensitive to God's leading, considerate of others. And by the way, as this story goes on, I got many more things to tell you about her. Wouldn't it be great if we can raise up young ladies like Ruth? And wouldn't it be great if we can raise up young men who are looking for young ladies like Ruth? Huh? Instead of just their appearance and the tightness of their clothing? Huh? Or the color of their hair? Or everything proportionate to their body? You know, all the superficial things that young boys look for. Are you with me? I remember being a youth pastor, and I remember sometimes uh, you know, getting the kids who are close to graduating, and this boy's going to fall in love with this girl, and I mean to tell you. And I remember saying this to, to them young boys. Fellas, remember this. That young lady comes with a mind. Make sure she's got one. Because that beauty one day, she's going to have to get it out of her drawer. You know what I mean by that, right? She's going to get older, and everything is not going to be where it once was. And a lot of it's going to be in the drawer. Huh? Yeah. Make sure she can cook and clean. Make sure she understands the value of a dollar. Hello? Yeah. So it would be great if we can train our young men to look for young ladies like Ruth. Or like some of the ladies of our church. Amen? Amen. It's amazing what you can get out of an Old Testament passage of Scripture when you look for it. Let's talk a little bit about Boaz. A couple things about Boaz. I want you to notice, first of all, he was a man of standing. In verse number one, that word wealth, see that word wealth? It really doesn't communicate the complete picture. It really doesn't. In fact, if you look at the word wealth, uh, the Hebrew word for wealth, it means a lot more than just having means. In fact, we know this. He was a property owner. He was a business owner. He was an employer. 
right? We know that. But he, it was, he was more than that because that word also, wealth, also brings in valor. In fact, you know what Boaz means? You know what his name means? Anybody know what his name means? Who? Fleetness. What? Fleetness. Fleetness? I don't know where you got that definition at. Yeah, it's probably a bad Bible. <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah, go ahead, John. What is this? Strength. Strength. It means strong, strength. And it probably means that as you continue to stretch it out. Huh? Strength. Strong. And that's why it says in verse number uh, one, and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's of her husband's, a mighty man of we can say a mighty man of valor, a man of standing, a man who had a good testimony, a good name. In fact, you know, the proverb says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. He had a good name. People admired him. We said this on Sunday about commanding respect or demanding respect. It's better to command it where people observe you and they just respect you because of what they see. It's not where you have to walk up and say, you will respect me. No, you just live the right kind of life. You set that kind of a standard. Are you, are you with me? He's a man of standing. And then notice this. He was a considerate employer, a considerate employer. We already noted how he greeted his harvesters, right? He invokes the name of the Lord. Are you with me? I mean, look here. Think about this. He, he comes to town, and the very first thing he says to his workers is, hey, hey, Lord bless you. Look here. You've heard this said before. You always talk about that which is important to you. Yeah. Right? Ever get, ever get with some people, I mean, all they, all they want to talk about is the stock market. All they want to talk about is sports. All they want to talk about is, all they want to talk about, and listen, I love, well, I don't love the stock market, but I love sports. I love fish. I love golf, and I love family. I love my wife. I love, but sooner or later, don't you think if they love the Lord, he's got to come out someplace? Yeah. But isn't it amazing, like right up front? Wouldn't it be great, Lil, if I'm going to come and date your daughter? And, 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 and the very first thing I say to you, uh, Mrs. Flores, I want you to know this. I love God. I live for God. God's important to me. I notice your daughter at church, and it appears to me she's serious about God. Instead of coming, hey, 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 uh, hey, sister, man, I've seen your daughter. She's good looking. I think we can make it together. And... <laughs> Thank you, Lil. Lil said goodbye. Huh? Now, I know this. I have three daughters and three sons-in-laws, and they all tried to pull the spiritual card on me. <laughs> Except for Jason. He's always just been the perfect, talent perfect, you know. But what if you, I mean, we don't, this doesn't seem to be normal today. I mean, in fact, we're in fact, that I think our young people are ashamed to name the name of Christ. Yeah. Huh? Right. I mean, what happens? What do your children do when you when you're sitting there in a restaurant and you begin to pray? Me and my wife, our kid, we, we hold hands in the restaurant. We pray like we pray now. I don't stand up and hey, everybody, I'm praying over the food now. But I mean, it's all right. I'm not going to put my voice down and hide in behind it. I'm not ashamed of God. I'm not ashamed of you. And by the way, there's been many times Jason, Nicole will tell you this has happened to them as well, where people have come up to us after and said, I saw you praying. God bless it. That was awesome. So good to see you. What are you so ashamed? What are we so ashamed of? Huh? He's a considerate employer. And then and I think this he's a he's a he's a man of faith. He's a man of faith. Not only did he speak of God God freely, but when he's even speaking to Ruth. Now, here's a young lady. I don't know how you feel about this, but this is what I believe. 
I think Bob, when he saw her, it was love at first sight. <laughs> I mean, it was like, woo, woo, where'd she come from? I know it says he's in verse number four, who's this damsel? But you got to read between the lines. Huh? His eyes fell out of the sockets. He's overwhelmed. But you know what the first thing he says to her? Talks about the Lord. He's not trying to impress her with his tattoos. He didn't say to her, hey, this is my field. I want you to know, man. I, one day I'm going to be Fortune 500. This is... No, he talks to her about the Lord. Huh? Isn't that awesome? He's a man of faith. And then I want you to see this. I want you to see he's a mature man. He's a mature man. You may not see this right up front, but I want you to note this. He looked at her strengths and not at her weaknesses. Look at verse number 10. She fell on her face, bowed her eyes, and said, look, look here. Here's how she's seeing herself. She said, seeing I am a stranger. She's saying, she's saying this to him. How in the world... Can you show me so much favor? How can you be so kind? And I'm a foreigner. And I think he said this. I don't see you that way. I don't see you that way. See, a mature person doesn't look at your weaknesses. They don't look at all your flaws. No, no, no. A mature person looks past that. You got real quiet for some reason. Huh? Don't look at a person's tattoo. They don't tell me anything. Look here. Grandmoms have tattoos today. I know preachers who are all tatted up. Uh, I listen. I, I don't judge that. Do I think we ought to do that? No. I have tattoos. If you ever see me in the summertime, I have tattoos. I got them long before I got saved. Would I have gotten them afterward? Absolutely not. But am I offended by somebody who has them? Not in the least. Not in the least. In fact, if, you got, if, you, if you're proud of your tattoos and you've got them all over the place, I can care less. As long as you love God and put God first, what's on your skin doesn't matter to me. Look here, I can preach with or without a tie. doesn't matter to me. I, I, need, I need to have clothes on. I'm not the flip-flop flip guy. But we look here, we have put such a premium on the wrong things in Christianity. No, you're not kidding. You're just saying amen. We, we put a premium on the wrong things. And we don't understand. Uh, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up just for one reason. Somebody put a card, a connect card in the uh, uh, box there to get my attention with no name. There's no name on it. If you ever send a note to Pastor Yanizzi, I promise you this. I don't read it if it doesn't have a name on it. And here's the reason why. You're not going to keep me guessing for the next three days as to who wrote this. <laughs> it's not going to happen. If you really, if you really want to accomplish something, put your name on it. I'll give you one better. Come talk to me. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty nice guy to talk to. And really, if, if you come along and say, Pastor Nizzi, I think, I think this, I might say, that's a great idea. Never thought of that. Let's do that. But if you think you're going to slip one in on me and zing me without putting your name on that, you're not going to do it because I'm not going to stay up for three days thinking, who wrote this note? <laughs> Now I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I knew who it was. It was Dave. It was that, it was that sneaky Dave. Ah, no, maybe it was Jason, my son-in-law. You're not going to do that to me. Huh? Why, why did I bring that up? Because mature people, mature people don't operate that way. Don't operate that way. Huh? Well, I'm glad I got that out, Bob. I wasn't going to say anything. Well, I'm glad you provoked me to say something. Let me, let me tell you something else here real quick. Look, look. He looked at her character and not her condition. Yeah, look at verse 11. Boaz answered and said unto her, 
She said, man, I'm a stranger. He wasn't looking at that. It says, it's been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law. Are you with me? He, he didn't want to look at her condition. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. No, he's looking at her character. That's what the true people do. And then I want you to get this one, one final thing. He showed her kindness. In verse 14, he said unto her, at mealtime, I want you to sit. I want you to sit and eat bread at my table. And just so that you know, look in verse number 14. He said, I want you to eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. You thought Carabas was the first place. Olive Garden was the first place that came up with a little plate with the oil. and the... There it is. Everything got its roots in scripture, Bob. Found it right there. They're dipping bread in the vinegar right there, man. Huh? Amen. That's Bible. Bible. Sit at my table, and then look at this, verse fifteen. Um, and then he said, "No, I'm sorry, verse 4. And she and she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn. So, on. and when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man, saying, "Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not." So here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. No longer does she need to pick up the scraps. Let her glean. Let her glean in the field, and don't say a word to her. That is so connected to God's grace in our lives. And I'll show you how that works in the weeks to come. Right? God's showing us favor. Here's a side note. It would be great if the young ladies of our church would look for men like Boaz. And it would be great if the young men of our church would try to be like a Boaz. Amen? If we could just train our daughters to respect themselves. Not to let that bonehead. Are you with me? And he says, oh, you're so beautiful. Your eyes are so bad. I can't live with that. Your lips are so pouty. Oh, my, my, my. And she's just melting and starts to lose all sense of reason. And before you know it, you got a 13-year-old girl kissing. This boy has no reason to have his lips on her lips. Come on now. Come on now. Don't get quiet on me. Somebody's got to teach them the right way and hold them accountable to it. Now, for granted, look, you teach them and hold them accountable, they're still going to sneak out because it's kind of like criminals. They find a way to, to commit crime. They find a way to sin. But at least, at least you know you told them where you stand. Right? You told them where you stand. Amen? All right. Well, as you know, there's no coincidence with the Lord, but there are. Let me finish here with this thought. There are divine appointments. Yes. No coincidences, but there are divine appointments. And I don't understand it all, but I believe that God is over all. Yes. Right? And I absolutely firmly believe in something called the providence of God, which means this. God orchestrates it and then oversees it to his liking. You know what I got to say about that? Thank the Lord. For his providence, that God orchestrates it all and oversees, keeps his hand on it. And all I have to do is follow him. Follow, follow. I will follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I will follow on. Amen? If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.